Hello and welcome to this special March Madness episode from iGaming FM. March Madness, of course, is the knockout tournament finale to the US college basketball season, offering thrills, spills, shock victories and a whole load of betting. Within hours of Monday night's men's final, which saw the University of Connecticut comfortably seal the championship with a 76-59 victory over San Diego State, we spoke with Mark Hill of Amelco and Ryan Kerr of Simple Bet. We talked to Mark and Ryan about UConn's win, about the importance, or not, of seeding, about trends in micro-betting, and a whole lot more. Enjoy. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. The ink has barely set on the headlines from the game on Monday night, and it turns out it was one of the maddest marches probably in recent memory. And from a betting point of view, what were the takeaways, Mark? From a, a betting perspective on this side of the counter, very, very happy. I think we've, we've come out of the tournament well, new products on show consistent betting performance yes we've had our ups and downs we we lost on the futures with UConn winning the whole big dance but generally speaking from our side really really happy from the the betting side I've had a few wagers during the the competition myself as well didn't go so well (laughs) didn't go so well but certainly I think with the the development in the North American market at the minute the the number of options that the sports books are providing now to the end user I think yeah it's been undoubtedly a success at all levels I'm Ryan yeah, I, w- I would echo the sentiments that Mark alluded to. You know, this is the the second year that we've been running for for college basketball season, and um, saw consistent growth over the course of this past season. Obviously, I think if you look at all of March Madness, it really showed the parity that exists within college basketball and having some extremely unique faces in the Final Four after a, a fairly blue blood Final Four last year, which obviously attracted quite a bit of betting attention. I think something that also really stood out, and obviously we're talking mostly about the men's game, but was the growth of the women's game, obviously with Caitlin Clark and, and that Iowa LSU game on, on Sunday night. You both alluded to it there, they're about it being hard to call as well, with reference to the men's final, certainly. Traditionally, handicaps and money lines seem to be quite a major draw in college basketball. Is this still where the action is, or are we seeing a shift? Are they getting more involved in same-game parlays and micro-bets? Mark, maybe again, the broader perspective from you about betting patterns overall, and then Ryan, if you've seen any uptick in micro-betting. So, Mark? Yeah, not not to steal Ryan's thunder on the micro betting, but we were we were able to introduce Simple Bet for the first time heading into the Sweet Sixteen. That was a, a welcome change of pace, I think. In this industry, I guess the, the first week of March Madness is when you draw the most attention, all the interest. Once you get into that second week, it tends to drop off a little bit, and once you get into the Final Four, especially, it drops off. The fact that we were able to introduce something like Simple Bet into the picture during that period definitely definitely helped across the board. Though, like like Amelco, just for anyone sort of listening in, maybe doesn't understand the full picture with Amelco. When we were operational in, in 2022 for March Madness, we did around 24,000 bets in our white label solution. This time we're doing 240,000 bets on March Madness, so quite a jump from where we were just 12 months ago. We introduced the SGP side of things, the same game parlays, the bet builders for the first time as well, and that was a, a huge success as well. So really, really happy from our side in how it's transpired. I would say that maybe UConn winning wasn't the biggest surprise. 
that's what I'll say. Underdog story to a degree, but probably one of the strongest. Well, undoubtedly not. As it unfolded, it became evident that a lot of people thought they had the momentum, right? Yeah, even even just looking at the, the sort of general basketball ratings and, and Ken Palm, Torvik, those sort of guys. Ken Palm had UConn ranked four going into the tournament. So there's a lot of vulnerable number one seeds this year. I personally liked Alabama, but then they had off-court issues. It, it just, there was a lot of vulnerability to those stronger seeds on paper wasn't the biggest shock to see UConn and certainly the recreational betters got their fill in terms of future bets that they had on UConn going in as well so the underdog story on paper but yeah maybe not on the statistics Mark's gonna kill me as he keeps alluding to his futures and I'm sitting over here with ripped up Creighton tickets um (laughs) so uh, I'm going to stay away from talking about any personal bets and we'll stick to uh, to the micros and being on this side of the counter for now. Just on Ryan's point about Crichton as well, like coming into the tournament, there's a lot of media publicity. We're in this era now where people are doing more and more content around the betting space in, in, in the US. And there's a, this tried and tested formula, I'm sure Ryan's aware of it, of, of all, like, I think there's eight or nine different criteria. Creighton only missed out on one of those criterias to be fully qualified as a team that met everything, and that was 28th in adjusted offense on Ken Palm. It was the only one, you tend to be top 20 adjusted offense, you, you, you can land the ticket, but there was only one team all year that actually qualified back going into the tournament, that was Alabama. UConn didn't even qualify with the tried and tested formula either. They didn't have a head coach who'd ever reached the Sweet 16. So I said it wasn't necessarily a year of upsets, but there was definitely um, underlying trends that were broken, I'd say. The second 16 seed ever to be a number one, right? I mean, that seems like a pretty, a, a bit of a reach. Yeah, Ryan, do you want to take that on after you? Being a Jersey guy, it's exciting to see a couple of these New Jersey teams continue to pull off upsets with FDU this year and, and Princeton as well, and then St. Peter's in their run last year. So it's exciting to see some of those teams make a run. It sometimes obviously diminishes the level of play of you as you then get to the round of 32 or Sweet 16 if you end up knocking off one of the big boys. But it is an exciting, I and mean, it definitely encourages, I think, a more casual user to stay engaged and tend to want to follow the underdog in those sort of scenarios. We've heard about the volume there. Mark was talking about a tenfold increase in, in bets placed. In terms of micro-betting, Ryan, I know it's not new for college basketball because you offered it last year, but there's surely been a huge uplift in interest and in, and in volume this year. And I wonder what markets are really catching the eye now in terms of March Madness and the patterns that you're seeing with the Bettles. Yeah, there was a, a significant uptick that we saw throughout the course of this year, and it really came to fruition during March Madness this year, especially in those first two rounds. Last year at this time, we were only live with DraftKings and now have nearly 10 operators that we're live with, including you know globally with Bet365, as Mark alluded to, getting live with Bet Saracen and Amelco, live with Caesars and DraftKings. And yeah, what we saw was almost two times the amount of action that we saw from a state-by-state basis, just like for like from what we saw last last year. And I think a lot of that is due to the way that they're being merchandised and the way that uh, operators are really positioning these markets and these fast, rapid, instant flash bet, whatever you want to call them, to the top of their experience and trying to surface them as quickly as possible to users. And what we saw this past year was, yeah, the two most common micros that we saw was, will this next basket be a two or a three pointer? 
just as simple as it gets. And then which team will end up scoring it? Will it be the home team or the road team? You see people calling those specific runs when they call a a 9-0 run and they're betting UConn, UConn, UConn consistently to make their next three baskets or somebody that continues to want to hit the three-pointer option over and over. And I think what we were happy to see this year is not just the the sheer volume of bets where we took in March Madness alone over a million bets total across our operators, but just the, the bets per use And so looking at it right now, and that's about six bets per user per game. So when a user is getting involved in a game, they're sticking around and they're continuing to stay engaged, which I think is part of the thesis of of microbetting. With regard to microbetting, with each major betting event like this, whether it's a World Cup or March Madness or whatever it might be, you must be seeing an evolution of the bet or you must be seeing them learning themselves new habits new things that they like, new trends and so on. Is that, is that true of March Madness as well? You, you're learning with every major event now. What's unique about March Madness is typically you see like an influx of bettors that maybe haven't bet on college basketball much over the course of the year. And so when you reintroduce some of these sort of products, it's sometimes they're first dipping their toe into these products. And so it's exciting to see then them stick around and then hopefully year over year, then them stay engaged. And maybe they actually come back to college basketball a little bit earlier next year, rather than having to wait towards March Madness to make a college basketball wager. Mark, if I can come back to you a bit, I'm very interested in seeding and how that might affect how you price your markets and how we'd call them giant killing over here in the UK, but kind of Cinderella runs like Princeton had 15 or 16 seed, I'm not sure, but certainly an outsider. How much weight do you give to those seedings when you're pricing markets? I think uh, I've sort of had this conversation multiple times around price efficiency and stability as we come into March Madness generally. In the grand scheme of things, we compare it to the NFL, you've sort of 16, 17 game regular season sample for the NFL. All these teams coming into March Madness have played 30 plus games. There's a good sample size there. We've got a good understanding of the strengths and weaknesses. Of course, variance is always going to come to play. It's our friend in the betting industry. What I think the the industry as a whole needs to adapt better to is adjusting once a game transitions from pre-match to in-play. I think the pre-match pricing, very, very efficient. We've noticed, especially the, the FDU example you mentioned, Princeton, the better in real time can see what is happening on the court. The algorithms, the models that are built on the pre-match pricing do not catch up and play fair game on that. So there's a lot of hands-on adjusting needed from a trading team in real time to try and offset the instability of, of models. Now, there are people coming on to the, or have come into the marketplace now, um, Huddle Gaming, formerly Deck Prism, doing a very, very good job of building that eyesight and and tweaking the model parameters throughout. But as an industry, it's definitely a big hole still across the board where whether it's a recreational book or a sharp book, there's still that inability to adjust appropriately for in-play pricing. I would say pre-match pricing, the seeding element is definitely factored in. There's definitely stability to the price once that game tips off. Yeah, it's that's where the adjustments are really needed. I mean, you talked about managing the parameters there. Something that's very interesting to a lot of us who aren't in the US is that the sheer scale, right? The sheer, you can have a neutral venue that actually is hours or hours away from one set of fans. So you have neutral venues where effectively are home field advantage for the team that has a geographical proximity. Do you factor that kind of thing in as well in terms of traveling crowds and how that can influence an outcome? 
a neutral science? Definitely tweaks the number to a degree. I wouldn't say it's an overriding factor. It's probably one over-egged a little bit in the sort of national picture. It's going to be a talking point on, on the pre-game shows and everything else about the home crowds. But there's been plenty of examples over the year. Obviously, Dayton, Ohio hosts games all the time. There's been big upsets before where Iowa have gone in and beaten Ohio State in, the, in Dayton, despite a sort of 75-80% split in terms of the crowd. So yeah, it's certainly a nice talking point. I don't think it's as relevant as, as maybe the, the long-term statistics and everything else. But yeah, everything in, in betting is open to, to subjectivity and, and factoring in the uh, qualitative stuff as well as the quantitative. Ryan, I just want to come back to you on those same questions, really. You know, I suppose a micro and the influences are, are quite different, really. You're, 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 this is the kind of in-game dynamics that you're managing rather than the broader kind of macro view that we were talking about there. Is that right? That's accurate. Yeah, I think as, as Mark alluded to, a lot of those issues that people are facing in play is what we're, we're trying to solve for. At every point throughout the course of the game, offering up a number and, and really originating each of these different numbers and all of the markets that we create and having to provide the best possible price in that specific moment. And obviously a lot of variables that go into our models going into a game, but then we're also waiting what's transpiring over the course of a game and aggregating those stats and under understanding what our empirical data is putting out there at that real time. And then, yeah, we also are, are having a, a manual overvention of, of our trading team that's monitoring the games in real time and trying to understand what that 1% that the machine learning algorithms aren't picking up. And that's, you know, that's frankly what they're there to do. In rounding up now, I would ask both of you just to feedback kind of an overview from your company's perspective of March Madness, what the mood is now, and also any personal moments, any personal highlights as sports fans that you might have. Yeah, I think for as a company, it's exciting to go through another college basketball season. The overall scale of the sport, just the sheer number of games, we end up trading a little over 3,000 college basketball games this past season. And obviously, March Madness is a great culmination of an incredible year, but it's a lot of hours and a lot of effort that goes into the season. And so I think we're really excited about the growth that we've seen throughout college basketball. And when it comes to micros, basketball is a really challenging sport to solve for. It doesn't have that natural start-stop cadence that a baseball or a football may have. And so being able to solve for that and then seeing the level of adoption that transpired with such a fast-moving sport is really encouraging. And then to see the level of engagement that betters seem to enjoy over the course of the season was exciting for us and definitely a, a huge success. From a personal standpoint, overall, it was an exciting college basketball season. I love seeing some of the underdogs uh, get there. It's nice to see a team like FA you and, and San Diego State, who for all intents and purposes really weren't underdogs this year, as as Mark alluded to early on. You know, that's a top 20 team for the most part, both of those all year round. And FAU's case, extremely underseeded coming into the tournament. So exciting to see those two teams being able to, to play out and get to that next stage, which is really exciting to see as just a, a college basketball fan. Mark, same question to you. Reflections, thoughts from a company and personal perspective? Yeah, I'll put my, my company hat on first, I guess. Being directly trading with a platform provider, having stability throughout the tournament was definitely uh, helpful. So we had no, no, no underlying issues, 100% uptime, all our feeds held up. So yeah, 
relief, I guess. You, you go into any of these big competitions, big tournaments, eyes on the product, eyes on the, the sportsbook operators. If you get through that with stability, yeah, that's a big, big plus. And not, I'm more concerned at times now on this side of the fence with that element, more so than the P&L at the end of the tournament. But away from that, listen, I think Amelco, we've, we've come a long way in the last two years, It's as long as I've been at the company. But the sort of growth we're now licensed in 18, soon to be 20 states in the US, that side of it has been encouraging. We're starting to see a really good mix of operators that we work with across both the sharp book element, with the likes of play up right through to the recreational business in Arkansas, which is is a fascinating state for us because you're not in against the, the big boys, if you like, with the DKs, the fan duels, these operators. But it gives us a really good insight on a customer base that we can introduce new products to, introduce micro betting and try to be at that level, I guess, if at any point the big boys do come into that state. There's an established brand there that is multifaceted in terms of what they're providing the end user. So that's exciting from a, a platform perspective. Tournament itself, I just enjoy it every year. It's a lovely change of pace. Like we've got a long season across multiple sports. Ryan will be the same with the, the scope that Simple Bet have these days as well. You've come through a full NFL season, college football season. It's just a nice change of pace when you get to March Madness. You've got a little bit of downtime coming in with conference play and then the main tournament starts and all the hype around it. And then it's over and then everybody's like, the Masters is this week. That's, you know, it's like it's forgotten. It's literally forgotten the next day. But it's just that first week especially, it's crazy, absolutely mental, but thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable, both from a spectator standpoint and watching the games and, and watching multiple games going back to back, that element. It's really good. And it's, it rivals, you know, NFL red zone and stuff. When you start to see the, the, the split screen of four games at once and, and bouncing around the different regions, it's just a different cultural experience to what we're used to, I guess, Stuart, over in, in the UK and, and, and Ireland. So I look forward to having the 3,000 games covered by uh, Simple Bet next year on the Melco platform as well. 